You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Carter comes up shooting. Welcome to Toronto Basketball Matters, podcast number 21. Guys, we are not with Greg Yeroshaz today, unfortunately. He is out saving the children, i.e. soccer practice or something like that, I think. Probably. Camping in the woods, I have no (laughs) idea what that man is doing right now. Anyways, we are are joined with the, uh, I guess, the the twin dragon, I guess we called it before. Fuck, I guess we're now like a continuation every single week whatever, so whatever i guess the not next the next stage of that is yeah i guess so yeah whatever uh so <laughs> going into uh i guess there's not much basketball action this week or last couple weeks so we're gonna do another divisional breakdown this week unfortunately we made the mistake of mixing up conferences and teams and divisions and whatnot so we included the washington Wiz- uh, washington wizards in our last breakdown uh they were not part of that division it's actually brooklyn nets so we'll give you a little bit of a brooklyn Nets breakdown. I know everyone's really looking to uh, talk <laughs> ad nauseum about the Brooklyn Nets, arguably the worst team in the NBA. This is your favorite team, so I want to let you have the floor here and just sort of hear what you have to say about the team that I'm projecting to be terrible and you think is going to be decent. Well, when I say my favorite team, my favorite team within the sense like I, I, I like their team because they are in a situation where they can make as many gambles as possible. And what I mean by that is that they obviously don't have any upcoming draft picks, especially this upcoming year, where it arguably is potentially one of the deepest draft classes that we've seen in a very long time. For sure. Um, You know, they have nothing to lose. They have no draft picks. It's a new regime. Billy King's not running that organization anymore. Sean Marks, formerly, I think, of the San Antonio Spurs, is is the head guy in that organization. And uh, I, I like the moves he's made so far. You know, getting a guy like D'Angelo Russell, um, former second overall pick. Your favorite. Pick. Listen, man, I'm, I, I, I wouldn't say D'Angelo Russell is my favorite player in the NBA, but finding va- like getting value like that, like being able to get a guy like D'Angelo Russell to be the guy you can kind of essentially fo- kind of sort of build around. Like, keep in mind, that guy had a very fucked up experience playing for the Los Angeles Lakers, which we've talked about in the past on this podcast. I'm just saying getting the opportunity to add a gamble of a guy who could potentially be a superstar in a D'Angelo Russell is a swing for the fence as I would make. I like, I like Alan Crabb. If I had to Alan pick Crabb's one, a fantastic If I had to pick one well, player, right? I think Alan Crabb for me would be the guy. I know his salary is like triple that of D'Angelo Russell right now, but still, they have enough room in their cap that they could eat that, so maybe Alan Crabb but turns Crabb's into like a But Crabb's like 25, 26. You're talking about D'Angelo Russell, who's only 21 right now. He's a great defensive player. I mean, it's better, Crabb, than, it's better than the other two. Player. That's another thing we're talking about, you know, taking a massive contract like Alan Crabb, who Brooklyn previously offered a Yeah, you it's, know, it's a, better a than Mozgov and Carroll. Right? No, Carol no, for sure. But you got to keep in mind you're, you're accumulating assets. You're also getting a first rounder of Damari Carroll, and like we mentioned before, we're also getting you know the the Russell pick, as well as getting the 21st or 22nd pick in the draft, which turned out to be um, Allen from Oklahoma, I believe, the center. 
can't remember his first name. Anyways, uh, Jared Allen. Yeah. Jared Allen. I, I, I'm, I'm big on, uh, I'm big on the Brooklyn Nets in, in the sense that they have unlimited possibilities of what they can do with their roster. They can keep retaining sort of like shitty contracts and taking on draft picks as well, considering they have next no draft picks next upcoming couple seasons, I guess, right? So who starts next year there at point guard? They have, I know Karis LeVert was like their guy last year, but he's not going to probably be in the mix. Jeremy Lin, your boy Jeremy Jer- Lin. It's between there, Jeremy so. Lin and D'Angelo Russell, right? So right. who's going to start at the beginning of the season? When Jeremy Lin was like, like at his like max potential, I was kind of like, eh, like another like Asian basketball player sort of dominating the league, a la like Yao Ming. Jeremy Lin is Christian Graffin's favorite basketball player of all time. The <laughs> Asian tie is just the connection, the cultural sort of like mingling, I guess we'll call it. No, no, let's st- stick with Tracy McGrady. Tracy McGrady. <laughs> Uh, okay, anyways. No, I think their starting five is going to be. I think Jeremy Lin will call off the bench. You're going to have D'Angelo Russell playing point guard, Alan Crabb playing shooting guard, Rodney Hollis Jefferson probably playing small forward or stretch four. Maybe Booker comes back and plays a four position with five of your boy Timothy Mozgov. Maybe Carroll comes in and plays a stretch four position as well. Like, I'm not quite sure what they can do. I'm not saying they are going to have a great roster, but I'm saying what they can do right now. They, they, they can take multiple gambles. They can... Um, take on multiple contracts. They can try to get as many draft picks as possible. Could it get any worse than 20 wins? I mean, probably not, right? So, yeah, I agree with you. They're going to do better than next year. Who cares? No, no, I'm saying I think they're going to do better than they were last year. And I think because of that, I don't know, I'm probably predicting 25 wins for them this year. All right, guys, moving to the Pacific Division. The Pacific Division. Um... Obviously, we are talking about teams like the Golden State Warriors. We're also talking about the Los Angeles Clippers without Chris Paul. Sacramento Kings, who knows the fuck they're doing this offseason. The Los Angeles Lakers just got your boy Lonzo Ball. And right now, we're going to have a discussion on the Phoenix Suns right now. Ooh, what a, what a fun team to talk about, Christian. We're just going through all the best teams right now in the NBA to talk about, aren't we? Just the oh Nets, my God, the I Suns. I, I woke go up this Kings. morning, I was like, thank <laughs> the goddamn stars. I got to talk about the Phoenix Suns this morning. Coming from the guy who was like kind of fine with the idea of well, talking about the Brooklyn Nets. But sure, let, let's, let's have a conversation about the Phoenix Suns, shall we? Well, the good news is the Phoenix Suns, I think, are the number one team to sort of, maybe without with exception to the Knicks here, to get Kyrie Irving. So this whole prediction on the Suns, kind of like uh, I was saying before with some other teams, could change with that tr- with that trade. All they have to do is say yes to giving up Josh Jackson, Eric Bledsoe, and the first-round pick, and they have Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I know. Just nothing. You know what I mean? Just got to float those bums off your roster. I, you know what, though? Like, is Josh Jackson that good? Right. Like, like, honestly, the guy can't shoot for shit. Like, we saw what happened in the preseason. The guy has that weird sort of herky-jerky strange jump shot. It could be correctable. I'm not like a sh- uh, shooting guru by any stretch of the imagination, but... I don't know. Like we're talking about Kyrie Irving. Like what is Kyrie Irving on the table? But also you got to look at the fact that in a couple of years he can opt out of his contract. And does getting Kyrie Irving pairing with Booker make that team a contender in the Western Conference? Like wh- no, what's they a, had what twenty it, wins last year. They're not even remotely close. I think. Too. Right. It's the same conversation we're having earlier about the Toronto. I mean the Toronto Blue Jays trying to get Juan Carlos Stanton off probably the waivers or whatever. How what the fuck MLB waivers <laughs> right. works? I have no idea how it works. To be honest with you, no, no one does. Um, no, like I just, I just don't really see a point in making that trade if you're going to include Josh Jackson. Maybe Bledsoe, maybe a top seven Miami Heat first round pick, and like Dragon Bender or Marquise. That's Chris, who they, one of them. That's who they're trying to substitute for in that trade. Is right. Bender for for Josh Jackson. Right. And if anything, I would just ask for a first round pick two years after. I would ask for just two first round picks yeah. instead of. I'd rather have that than almost 
maybe even Josh Jackson. I mean, they need to plan. Cleveland, this is, has to plan for life without LeBron James. It's it's pretty obvious. I think there's a couple articles. Yeah, but like today. life beyond LeBron James doesn't exist with the acquisition of Dragon Bender as like your marquee sort of future kind of blue chip prospect you're building. Which around. is why this trade hasn't happened. And I, so back to the Suns. They had 20 wins last year. Right. The roster, we have to, you know, sort of analyze them as they are. Um, they haven't changed very much. I think they obviously, brought back Alan Williams, guys. Obviously, Josh Jackson is like the number one player to look for. The progression of Devin Booker and Eric Bledsoe. But for you, uh, Brendan um, Knight destroyed his knee again. Yeah. Uh, do you <laughs> again? Do you, where do you have the? Oh, he's always injured. I feel like. Where, yeah. where do you have uh, Phoenix finishing? I have them finishing second last in this division with twenty five wins, roughly. I don't know. I, I'm taking a, a, a guess there, but I still have one team below them. I don't know. I think it's all dependent on uh, what Josh Jackson can do offensively this season, you know? Um, Eric Bledsoe has his limitations as a player. You know, he's not a great half-court basketball player by any stretch of the imagination. He's like a purely slash-and-drive kind of guy. Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris are clearly not going to contribute much this season based on what we've seen in the summer league. Um, Like, who, who else are we talking about here? Devin Booker needs to be 30 points per game every single night in order for this team to contend. Unless Josh, Josh Jackson turns a corner, puts up 16, you know, is a, a beautiful two-way wing player, great defender, can take like the, you know, the most difficult defensive assignments every single night, which I don't see happening. I think he's going to take his lumps this offseason. I don't see them really getting better than 20. I think 20 is a good start off for this team. Well, also like the the whole Western Conference has gotten so much better as well. Teams like, even like Denver and like teams that were on the fringe last year of making the playoffs mm-hmm. are now teams that are if they were in the East, they'd be a top five team. So it's really hard to, to even to put them up there. The one, and just to roll on to the next team, the one team I have regressing the most in this division and finishing with less wins than the Suns, so I would say maybe 24, um, if I had the Suns at 25 or 26 wins, would be the Kings. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what the Kings were thinking of doing this offseason. We're getting Randolph, we're getting George Hill. We, we, the, the, are they trying <laughs> to win? I mean... They're the most confusing team to sort of follow. I think if you were a fan of the Kings right now, you just you could be blindsided at any moment. There's you have no idea the future of this team. This is a team that's been screwed by like I'm pretty sure by the 76ers in a few trades. They've given up draft picks. They don't really have much to look forward to even. Where where do you I have them below the Suns this year, um, finishing probably at like 23 wins. They're the worst-run organization in the NBA, man. Like Vivek Ramanadevi or whatever his name is, their owner. Well, he's got a stick. It's, it's delusional. Stick like, to he's Wall delusional, Street. Delusional, man. He's out of his goddamn mind. He was kind of like he made the Demarcus Cousins trade is purely centering around the acquisition of Buddy Heald because apparently Vivek viewed Buddy within the same potential and the same skill set of a Steph Curry. Steph Curry you know what yeah. I mean? Like, that, 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 that's just a small little tidbit of how horrible of an owner this guy is. Like, he is the worst of the worst, man. I don't understand how George Hill is a $20 million per year player on a team that's not even going to think about contending for the playoffs for the next couple of years. Like, what, what, Deron, like, I don't, uh, uh, sorry, like, Deron Fox is going to be a fantastic basketball player. Let him be Deron Fox. Don't have a stop gap in a George Hill. He doesn't need a goddamn mentor. Let him play. 
That's is that the other thing. Me to say that? That's the other. Uh, that makes. I think that's a great point. Is is you really have this team right now is after the draft and everything. You you look at them and you say, okay, with Willie Cauley Stein, Durham Fox. You know, this is going to obviously be a Terry Giles there. This is going to be a team that's going to just be a bunch of young players. They're going to lose a lot of games, but they're going to get a lot of playing time. Right. And then all of a sudden, they get Vince. Vince Carter, Zach Randolph, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Zach Randolph, who um, just got George arrested Hill. for four pounds of marijuana in it, his car. Is he even going to play this year? It To me, it just makes <laughs> no – it makes absolutely no sense. And they didn't – it's not like they Allegedly. signed – I mean, like you said, George Hill is 20 – $20 million a year for the next three years. Yep. Randolph's a two year. So they've almost pretty much locked themselves into salary. Not necessarily, but until twenty nine, the 2019-2020 season before they can actually start to look to even get players. I hated the fact, like, I like people were giving them, like, a B plus, an A minus in, like, post-draft evaluations for the Kings. I think what they had, they could add, like, they could have added Malik Monk at 10th overall. Listen, I know the Portland Trailblazers took Zach Collins, and I know they got two decent guys in Justin Jackson and Harry Giles, who many people at one point thought was the best player in the draft. But in a situation where you need to like just get something, get anything that can immediately contribute to your team, and keep in mind also having the Fox Monk backcourt from Kentucky, man, I just think they dropped the ball on that one. I think when we were talking about leading up to the draft that it was a 10-team, I mean, sorry, a, a 10 player draft, you know what I mean? Top 10 draft, everything kind of falls out afterwards. Keep in mind, there are a couple decent players. Losing the 10th overall pick and thinking about what they could have drafted, such as my personal number 10 pick in my mock draft, Donovan Mitchell, man. I just don't understand what this team is doing. No, they had ample opportunities in the draft to, to do better and to, and honestly, even with what they got in the draft, they could have at least built around that and tried to give them a chance, but I don't know. what. For me, like I said before, this is the team that regresses the most. I have them below uh, Phoenix in this division at 23 wins. So 2023? 20, 23. You? I'm gonna, they I'm had 32 last year. I got to give them 29 because I think George Hill is going to show up to play. And He's he, good. He, I like, know. For I what he George is, Hill. like I, 29 wins with Zach Randolph, DeRon Fox, Buddy Heal. That's not 29. It's like it's a, it's a shitty 29. Let's just say that. I have no idea what that means. But... <laughs> Um, all right, guys, moving down the list, going to the Los Angeles Lakers. Graffin, what do you think about this organization coming into next season with the acquisition of the proverbial god himself, big baller brand's very own Lonzo Ball? I thought you were going to say Brooke Lopez. Brooke, Brooke Lopez. Kyle <laughs> uh, Kuzma. Uh, uh, the Lakers will not be very good next I think they think they're going to be a playoff team. It honestly, to me, next year doesn't even matter. This it does a, matter. It does with the draft pick that they owe the Boston Celtics. You know the stipulations on that? It's protected number one overall and six through the rest of the draft. If that pick lands two, three, four, or five, Boston Celtics are looking at getting two fucking monsters in this upcoming draft. And Boston's draft future looks fantastic. The Lakers will finish, I think, they're not going to be that bad. I, I, honestly, I think I have them coming third in this division. So for me, that's what, th- probably 34, 35 wins probably around there. Right. Which would be an improvement, obviously. I'm basing this a lot on, on 
I, like you said, I guess my buddy Lonzo Ball. I well, think no, he's going to be I good. Think, I think I he's going to be really, really good, honestly. I think, I think there's two players that need to turn a corner this season. Not maybe turn a corner. Brendan Ingram, but tr- right? Brendan Ingram, of 100%. He, I think even above Lonzo he Ball. Is because Lonzo Ball team. is an established playmaker. In my opinion, he's going to come in the league as a pre-made product, as a guy who can flip the ball right, to, and, and, and facilitate the offense, essentially. Brendan Ingram needs to put on the big boy pants this season and actually show that he is a go-to offensive weapon you know what we saw him out of him last year was kind of disappointing I think well personally myself I was looking at an 18 20 point per guy game guy who would show his limitations probably on the defensive side of the ball but was still gonna be a guy with high upside coming off last season I have no idea what type of player he's gonna be he needs to show up and show who the hell he is you know what I mean especially being the number two overall pick what do you think he's gonna do next season I I hope he's working out this offseason because he's the skinniest player <laughs> I've ever seen. And everybody keeps saying he's the next thing to Kevin Durant, and it doesn't matter if he beefs up or not. And, right. But I don't know. The way he plays, he, he does kind of play. He needs a little bit of physicality in his game. Like, he does have that in his game. He just doesn't have the body for it. Um, so he needs to beef up, I think. I think that's the number one thing he's got to be working on this offseason. Uh, he played in the, in the summer league, and he actually looked pretty good. So... I, I don't know what to make of it. It's like he might be one of those players who's just so dominant against the competition just below the NBA level. Mm-hmm. But just when he gets to the NBA level is one of those players that falls into the, sort of the, the mediocre sort right, of level. Right, right, right. It's going to be interesting to see what Lonzo Ball can do for him, though. No, that's because great... he's going to be getting a lot more passes. He's going to hit it a lot more shots, hopefully. He's going to mm-hmm. get a lot more open looks. Um uh, to me, who's your other player? I'm kind of curious. You said you have two players that are going to be well, X factors. Ing- Ingram and Ball for Ingram sure. Ingram and Ball, okay. but there's there's also X factors. There's there's t- there's, there's a, the old rooks who've been the team for a while who need to also turn a coin. We're talking Julius Randle and maybe to a certain degree Jordan Clarkson, right. but they also have two pre- like readily pre-established, I guess, basketball players on this team that could make them, in my opinion, a 34 win team. And we're talking about Lopez, who we were mentioning before, and we're also talking about the bread man himself can. Tavius Caldwell Pope. If anyone doesn't really know the uh, the breadman quote, please look up Rob Palinka's press conference where he recites some sort of weird biblical verse and kind of infers that like what Contavious Caldwell Pope is like God giving them bread or something like that. I can't really. Remember. It was too ridiculous, Stephen. Remember, <laughs> it was the craziest shit I've ever heard in my entire life. But anyways, the breadman's on that team now. What do you think out of what do you think of Contavious Caldwell Pope in general? I know many people were kind of thinking he was going to get that. That 18 20 million dollar contract this season clearly did not work out for him with Detroit getting Avery Bradley. What is he going to do for the Los Angeles Lakers? Is the hype deserving of what Contavious Caldwell Pope got this offseason? Well, he's going to be really tested in the Western Conference, he's going to be facing a lot of good players, I think. So it's going to be tough, but no, the Lakers did get a good player here, and I think if they show, um, especially next offseason. If they can keep someone like this around, he's one of those perfect glue players for a team uh, that's not the number one or two option, but sort of a number three or four guy. Mm-hmm. And if they're looking to load up on Paul George, and and I think this is more of a future move for the Lakers, more so than this season. Because if KCP? they can convince him, yeah, if they can one convince him to stick around next year mm-hmm. when they keep Paul George, and stuff, I think the likelihood of him sticking around is a lot higher right. to take a little bit less money just because he's already been in the Lakers organization. So this season, though, I mean, he's going to be the starting two. We're going to see Lonzo Ball out there at the one. I don't know where Ingram is going to be. Probably the, the three or the four. Dang's still on this team as well, don't forget. And then Brooke Lopez there. The one 
I guess X factor for me is Kyle Kuzma. We haven't mentioned him too much, and he had a really, really good showing. Uh, this guy can shoot. He looks kind of like a Clay Thompson type of player. He could be a player that's very much so slept on, but uh, can rack up the points pretty quickly. I think the Lakers will be very fun to watch it, more than anything else. They'll be a good team to watch. They'll be exciting. Uh, they've got quite a few uh, national televised games, so uh, I think we're going to be forced to watch them. And uh, I don't know. I have them at about 35 wins next year. 34, 35 wins. I'm not as big on Kyle Kuzma as you are, but he could provide something this offseason. We'll see what he can do against men as opposed to playing against Billy from... BYU, but uh, <laughs> well, all right, guys, we'll roll down the list of Pacific Division teams. We're going to the LA Clippers, the other LA team, who had quite the offseason, Christian. They, uh, they apparently traded Mr. Chris Paul to the Houston Rockets, so I guess he elected back in his player option. What a good guy. The team, a little fucking uh, what a good guy. lifesaver there. And the Clippers were managed to get Patrick Beverly. They were also able to get Montrez Harrell, and they also added Lou Williams from the trade as well. Yep. Um, they also had a couple of decent draft picks, starting with Sindorius Thor- Thornwell, who I think is going to immediately come in and be a rotation guy. They also added Juwan Adams in the draft, and the team also signed a ta- Italy's very own Daniel Gallinari from the Denver Nuggets to play the 3-4 position. Um, and the team also picked up a European, I guess I could say, stud. Like, he's a European basketball player, so I have no idea what type of skill set he brings because I don't watch... Euroball at all ever, yeah. but his name is Milos Teodosic. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what we get from him. Hope he's not another Rudy Fernandez for the Philadelphia 76ers. Are the LA Clippers a playoff contender, Christian? I think they are, actually. I think they're going to be fighting for that eighth spot. The, the team, especially the front court with Griffin and Jordan, I mean, it's still p- pretty good and fairly young, 28 and 29. Uh, I don't know. I mean, this, the Western Conference is going to be so hard. Uh, as a team in general, the your, Clippers... Your backcourt of Beverly and Williams? Well, Beverly's a great... Def- I mean, again, you have to look at this team and who they're going to be facing a lot. They're oh. going to be defending a lot of really good one-twos. Right. So if you have a lot of good defenders there and you have players like... It all depends on Blake Griffin. If he could stay healthy, if Danilo Gallinari... Again, I'm looking at the highest upside for this team, I guess, right now. Um, I don't like... Austin Rivers. I don't like Doc Rivers as a coach. I'm no, really, I'm really happy he's kind of stepped out of that role as the, uh, as the VP of of what player Do you operations. You think he had a choice? Well, no. I mean, but he probably had. There's probably some part of the decision Chris Paul made to give back to right, the Clippers. Right. It might have had something to do with Doc Rivers. Who knows? Um, but to me, I don't know. I I have them kind of fighting for that eighth spot. I don't really know where exactly. I think they finished with 51 wins last year. They're definitely, definitely not going to be there. 43. You have them at 43? Guess, if they, 43. See, if they go 43 and 39, that would be, I think, for I them. have no faith that Blake Griffin is going to be able to play an 82-game season. I don't think Daniel Gallinari is a good basketball player. I think DeAndre Jordan uh, it can only be a contributing basketball player in a good situation. I don't think he's ever going to be an offensive focal point, nor is he a very strong defensive player as well. Um, Scenarius Thornwell. What about Scenarius Thornwell? Um, Patrick Beverly is a great basketball player, but he's not, you know, a top fifteen point guard in the NBA. Um, I just, I don't see how this team is going to make the playoffs. I don't see how. I, I don't even understand the hype. I don't even help understand how people even consider the Clippers as a playoff contender. See, they're so right now because of Chris Paul leaving as an organization, they have to win. 
right? They have built this fan base now as a winning sort of kind. Like it's they're completely se- separated yeah, from what they were viewed on as the past. Right now, which frustrates me. I know, but logic. they, as an organization, I see what they had to do here with their offseason moves. They can't really deconstruct this roster. I find I think they kind of have to keep going and getting players like uh, Te- Teodostic or whatever his name is. It's exciting. He's kind of like a mystery. Um, you don't know how all these players are going to gel. They're, they're going to be able to score. I mean, Lou Williams and Gallinari can get 20 points a night each, and then Blake Griffin right there, the same thing. So if they can if they can somehow be a good defensive team and be known for just their defense, I think they have a chance. Yeah, well, well, I don't think they have a chance because they are playing in the same division as the Golden State Warriors, the final team that we will discuss in our Pacific Division Breakdown. Golden State Warriors, obviously the NBA champions, led behind the tri, or I guess quadfecta, is that the word we'll go with? Uh, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and Mr. Clay Thompson himself. Mr. 360 degree dunk Clay Thompson. Um, All right, so let's talk about quickly about what they were able to bring in the offseason, starting off with Mr. 40 footer Omri Caspi. (laughs) Um, who I think is a fantastic addition. Great value at $1.4 million per season. A great floor stretcher, a guy who can play a 3-4 position. A decent defender as well. I think that's a dynamite dynamite signing uh, for their bench. Uh, You're also talking about uh, Mr. Swaggy P himself, Greg (laughs) Yerushadis, his favorite basketball player of all time, Nick Young, coming in a uh, $5.192 million contract to play the backup shooting guard role. How is Swaggy P going to gel not only on the Golden State Warriors encore play, but is he going to be an issue in the locker room? And is Draymond Green going to have to lay a smackdown at some point this season? He might have to actually <laughs> lay a smackdown. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Swaggy P is Swaggy P, though. I don't think there's anything you can do to him, even if it's Draymond Green, that will change he's, anything. He's, he's, <laughs> He's made of iron. He doesn't yeah. share it and just flex off his, his back. His charisma and his, his, his smile, yeah. his swag, his swag, and just pushes out everything against him. I think yeah. Golden State, I mean, again, they're the team itself. Okay, so just basing on the offseason moves and All what right. they did, um, I don't know. I, I kind of like what they, what they did. They added some shooters. I think Nick Young is just going to be a player who ends up not getting a lot of minutes anyways. Uh, and even if he does get minutes, they're going to be garbage time type of minutes where mm-hmm. Golden State is already up by 20 points at the end of the first quarter. And then you can roll them out for, you know, seven or eight minutes in the second quarter already. So, Let's just say, good for Nick Young. Good for fucking Nick Young to get on the Golden State Warriors. It's like a dream, it seems like, of every NBA player right now if you're like that. If, if you're any player... A mediocre been... player that they were interested in... It's in, not even that. It's like he's the most selfish basketball player probably in our generation of ball with the exception of Ricky Davis. And the guy walks into a situation where he gets to play with arguably the greatest roster ever assembled in the history of the game. Nick Young is just like a like he got to play in LA for the Lakers and he got to be an offensive focal point for a very long time and now toward the latter half of his career at 32 he gets to jump over to the Golden State Warriors organization. And you look at Good that for him. you look at that 3-4 type of hybrid role that Golden State sort of plays with and if you compare or not even compare you contrast him with Sean Livingston and Iguodala the three of them, you can always find a combination between the three. They're all such different players. Even Patty McCaw as well. That you can fit them right into that starting Henry lineup. As well, yes. Yeah, with that big four, all, like you said also, earlier. Also, and it works. Factoring in, 
getting Jordan Bell in the second round by giving, I, love I that think, Chicago it. $6 million, who Jordan Bell put up a 5-5-5-5-5 five, 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 five game. I think he put up a Draymond Green style. Rebounds, yep. says, steals, and blocks. You know, we're not talking about a guy who's going to come into the league or even be in any situation throughout his entire career putting up great numbers. But we're talking about a Swiss Army Knife type of player who can impact the game in other aspects beyond scoring. A guy that is going to be hustling on both sides of the ball, who's going to make the players around him substantially better. And a guy like you just mentioned sort of replicates maybe on a more lesser degree of what Draymond Green's bring. Draymond Green brings to the court every single night. Yeah, and don't forget, they uh, picked up uh, JaVale McGee, too. <laughs> he came back. All right, guys, that is our Pacific <laughs> Division breakdown. Um, all right, guys, moving on really quickly, we are going to discuss our personal top five favorite Canadian basketball players of all time, and I'm going to throw it yeah, we didn't right get to, this to last week. you. Huh? I said we didn't get to this last week when we had uh, when we had Wayne here. We did. We did. We didn't get it to it last week, unfortunately. So just to follow that Canadian theme. Uh, so you're throwing it to me, okay? So number throwing f- it to you, number five. I'll do number five. So again, I'm not gonna even remotely pretend. I know much about... And we're also got, not going to remotely pretend like we came out and we thought about this for days and we were sitting on like who's going to be on number five. No, we literally walked in. We're like, oh crap. We forgot to assemble this. Oh, at least I did, and I literally put scrap something together literally probably five minutes before this podcast started. But anyways, Christian, it's on you, my friend. Well, speak for your I was gonna say that I, I was up don't all night know making too this much list. about this basketball player, but he's the only Canadian basketball player in the basketball hall of fame. Um, Bob Hubriggs. He played oh, fuck 1950 off. to 1960. <laughs> oh, fuck off. I mean, he only he retired at 25 years old. Again, I'm not going to pretend I know much, but right, right. you look at the list, this guy, I have to put him at number five. He's the only Canadian basketball player in the in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Right. So, yeah, he's there. That's who I have. He's number five for me. That's like that weird kid in high school where you ask him who his favorite band is, and he says Beethoven. Like, that's on ta- on par with that. I never met I any kid like that. I can't dignify that response, okay? My my number five is Kojo, Corey Joseph, because he won titles on San Antonio, he played for the Toronto Raptors, and he's a serviceable basketball player. He's had quite the career, he hasn't been a number one offensive option, he hasn't really been a starter throughout his career, but he's been a great complimentary player on the second unit, um, and like I mentioned before, he's a champion. Well, I think the fact that he's from Toronto too, you get to see pretty much directly what he gets back. He gets to play for his home city. That's like the dream, I think, of every NBA player. I mean, that's why Paul George is going back home. Mm -hmm. That's why LeBron did it, right? So, I mean, he got to do that naturally. Uh, Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Corey Joseph, but if I had to look at it from Canadian basketball perspective, I could see him. I have him on my, honestly, I have him on my, like, just fringe list. So, number four for me is Samuel D'Alembert. Holy Jesus. I... He's the, hey, he's the got, guy gave up on Team Canada. He's the got, guy gave up on. He's just so screaming at Coach Rodens. Like that guy is just a. Uh, ugh. As a Canadian. As a Canadian. Dallenberg. Did you omit Jamal McGlure? He's no. He's got the most rebounds and block shots oh for a Canadian God, above Jamal McGlure. So just think of in his NBA career, most rebounds, most like that that and most block shots. That's pretty impressive. Again, you can't We're you can't off deny to a that. Terrible start so far, guys. I apologize for uh, Graffin's asinine comments about Jam- Samuel Dallenberg at four. Okay, I got Jamal McGlure at four. Okay. 
Because Jamal McGlure was an all-star. He had a couple decent seasons. He was a good journeyman basketball player. Um, when he was on Charlotte, he was a fantastic dominant basketball player. Maybe injuries and age, you know what I mean, toward a lot of his career sort of impacted his contribution on a nightly basis. But during those small that small window, three, four years, Jamal McGlure was a to- arguably a top five center in the NBA, so he's my number four. My number three, and I'm sure as shit that I don't, I don't think you have him on your list. Actually, I don't think you have him on your list. Tristan Thompson. No, I don't. Why? Why? Well, he's, just, well, he's just a starting center for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's won multiple championships in his career. I have Rick Fox instead of him. Oh, my God. <laughs> Rick Fox. Rick yeah, Fox Toronto. was a half cadaver on the starting five of Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal. Tristan Thompson is a magnificent offensive contri- offensive rebounder. Look, just Tristan because Thompson you don't remember this. may not be the sexiest this. player in the world, but he does add value. What does Rick Fox bring Look to the table? The, what he brings to the table is second in, in like, just really wet well, hair all the time. Other than his great looks and his acting career and being from Toronto he's second in points and assists to Steve Nash as a Canadian how can you deny those stats that that's that's someone who should be there 100% he should be 3 so there you go that's that's who i have uh, Wiggins, number two. That's obviously. my number two. Finally, of course, okay, yeah. there we go. We get to obviously. the top. And, and then, and then Steve Nash there. is number one. Even though he's born in South Africa, so I, he's a fringe number. No, one. he's Canadian. I know, but he's born in. I I heard what you said. I know I he grew up here. The fact that he is a Canadian man. He's a Canadian boy. It, I guess we'll put it. Being third in all-time assists. Who is your number Stockton. five again? I completely. I even forgot his name already. Bob Ubrick. Bob Ubrick. <laughs> he played from 1950 to 1960. The the years that you know I really like basketball the most. The, the golden years of ball. <laughs> that's, that, that's... Those are those are the best years. I didn't even watch. I just listened on the radio. You know those are those absolutely. Are good times. All right, guys, we are going to end this segment. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter podcast today, but we're going to end this segment very quickly, briefly, touching on the 2018 NBA draft. Um, the Ringer put out a fantastic article this week. I believe Kevin O'Connor wrote it, kind of detailing the skill set of all top five upcoming players in this draft with the inclusion of the Bagman himself. Is that his new nickname? Can I, can I call him that? No. I, 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 can't, I can't call him the Bagman. Fine. Marvin Bagley, who just recently announced that he will be joining uh, the Duke Blue Devils this upcoming season of College Hoops. Uh, where what where does he stand in the pecking order of this uh, draft coming up? Do you still have Michael Porter uh, Jr. as the number one guy in this draft, or does Marvin Bagley sort of stir the bag a bit, if you will? <laughs> Sorry about that. Yes, he. Oh God, <laughs> we're gonna edit that one out. Uh, yeah, he definitely, definitely does. I think he goes above Michael Porter. I've I've seen a little bit of both of them. Um, but Marvin Bagley has been playing now in the in all these Drew League games for the last couple of years. He's so young, but he looks definitely NBA ready in terms of his athleticism and his body. Mm-hmm. He's dropping t- between 25 and 30 points in some Drew League games where there's legit players like DeMar DeRozan and Harden playing in these games that are getting similar numbers to him. I mean, he's, he's definitely ready f- for me. The question mark is more on Michael Porter, on if he's ready or not. So Marvin Bagley is is sort of the number one de facto for me. And if anything, this year in NCAA, we're going to have to see what Michael Porter can do in Missouri. Because that's a that's an organization that's not you know known that much for how good they are at basketball. And he's going to have to bring that team 
pretty much out of nowhere into contention. So let's see if he can do that sort of almost by himself. Um, for me, Marvin Bagley, and especially the fact that he's going to be on Duke, he's going to get so much attention. I have I have him going number one. I think he's number one for like, definitely number one. I think like just the tangibles, his length, his size. Like he's a decent playmaker as well. He's a competent defender. He's not the greatest three point shooter right now. I think he shot like nineteen percent his uh, last season in high school. But still, like he's a uh, you know he 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 has this sort of like mold of a once in a generation type talent. I'm not sold on Michael Porter. I see a lot of like Harrison Barnes in his game, and I'm basing that on the small like video evidence I've watched so far on him. Um, but no, like I, I just I think Michael Porter Jr. is one of those guys sort of who's really decent at a lot of things, but doesn't really excel at one specific aspect of the game. And I think that was kind of Harrison Barnes's sort of critique up until the draft. Um, and Harrison Barnes is a great basketball player, but shit, is he a guy you want to take number one overall? I certainly wouldn't, considering who else you have on the board. It's funny because it's he's kind of like almost like a Miles Bridges kind of player for me who. In a, in better, a, he's a better shooter than Bridges. Way better shooter than Bridges. Yeah, but then I guess you could all, and a little bit taller too. You could, yeah, he's taller. But I guess you could say Bridges is more of a slasher than I guess than than Porter. Or more that's. More I think I think like what people liked know, about me, Bridges last year was like the potential for him to develop a shooter because he had a decent sort of looking stroke. I guess we'll pull it. Well, this that's why I guess I'm saying that this year in NCAA we're really going to see a lot about what Michael Porter really brings to the table. Mm -hmm. Whereas I have a feeling. Marvin Bagley is going to step right in, and Duke, it's going to be, I, I think I put this on the Twitter, but to make the most way too early prediction on a NCAA bracket, but Michigan State and Duke look like they're they're pretty much going to be very, very, very dominant teams next year in, in basketball, and it's mainly because of these players. Marvin Bagley going there is huge, and I think because of the attention he's going to get, He's uh, going to be thrust into the spotlight, kind of like uh, Lonzo Ball has been this year, mm -hmm. where there's going to be a lot of attention on him. He's going to be seen as the next best thing and the next big thing in the NBA. And this draft is going to be stacked. No, and you're right. You know, we'll see how you know Marvin sort of acclimates to the sort of pressures involved of playing and the spotlight at Duke. You know, hopefully he doesn't leave the program with too much baggage. Ah. <sighs> <laughs> so who else do you have? Uh, it's a top five. Who else do you have? Let's 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 talk Luka Doncic. I don't want to talk about these awful <laughs> bag references. These bag references. Uh, Puns. Lu Luka Doncic, the international superstar himself. Let me just throw it out there. I've watched a ton of video on this guy, and I think he's an absolutely fantastic basketball player. I just get scared when you consider drafting a guard forward position white guy because it just invokes <laughs> imagery of. When the uh, fucking Charlotte Bobcats took Adam Morrison number three overall in 2006, do you think we're reciting history again with Luka Doncic going top five, or is he the real deal? And is it racist for me to be judging him on the pigmentation of his skin? Well, I just Being feel white. like <laughs> I feel like he's going to be kind of a player who is just not that. His, his feet aren't that quick. So when he gets to the NBA level, and yeah, he can look as impressive as, as he wants and as impressive as most international players do coming into the league. But when he gets there, he's just not that quick, I find, on his feet. So it's going to be really hard for him to sort of stay, especially on the defensive end. He's going to be a big liability there, I find. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be hard to play him in a lot of scenarios. He's going to be one of those spot-in kind of players. He, 
I don't know. For me, I'm not that sold. You like him a lot more than I do. I, I, I have him not even in my top five, to be perfectly honest with you. And I know there's a lot of hype around him. He's really, really young right now as well. Um, to me, he's just going to be kind of a European bust. I have, a, I, have a pretty I, big I disagree with you. I know I kind of was joking earlier about my comparison to Adam Morrison, but I love Luka Doncic. He's my number one guy in this draft. Um, you I have think him going number one? I do. I think he I, over it's, Bagley. I got him, but I think this upcoming season, I think the tr- corner he's going to term the season by getting a substantially more minutes, playing on a, the highest European sort of club team. Uh, he's he's going to put up numbers. He's going to show everyone why the hype's deserving. Listen, we're talking about a guy since he was 12 who many pundits predicted would be in the situation he's in right now. We're not talking about a blue-chip European prospect who has a lot of upside potential based on external tangibles. We're talking about a proven commodity. We're talking about a guy with the playmaking and ball-handling skills of a Ricky Rubio with also, who can also create his own shot, who's a great half-court player, who's at a dynamic dynamic when driving the lane, who's a competent defender, keep in mind it's Europe, and he's not really, clearly not putting as much effort as he should be on the second side of the ball defensively, but a guy who could be, and who has the size to be a great defensive player in the NBA. I think when it just when comes to someone who is just going to come into the league immediately and start showcasing what he can do on a nightly basis. We're talking Luka Doncic. I love Marvin Bagley. I'm iffy on Michael Porter. Michael Porter. I'm huge on John J. Aiden, which we'll talk about afterwards. But I think when we're talking about all five guys, including Mohamed Bamba, I love Luka Doncic's long-term potential. And I think he's the kind of guy that you can build around without having to add a second, third superstar. Like, he is a guy that, if you add the right complementary pieces, could create an NBA contender. See, the one thing I have about European players and especially with him is you just kind of question the drive as well you do, like honestly who knows well that's it that's a non-tangible who, that you, you I don't think you can even develop it's possible to develop that sort of killer instinct that they have in Europe when you're playing there because it's such like a North American type of thing I feel like mm-hmm. that it's, it's brought into players so I you don't really see it I don't know for me I, from the limited amount I've seen on him and it seems like he's facing a lot of weaker defenders he doesn't take advantage of it as much either so like i said i don't have him in my top five for me if it wasn't for marvin bagley uh, who i have going number one it would be deandre ayton and deandre ayton for me is a better prospect than than mohammed bomba well like i'm looking at me a draft right now and they have mohammed bomba ahead of deandre ayton and i think they're both going to be great basketball players but when i you're talking about mohammed bomba you're talking about a guy whose skills are purely dependent on the defensive side of the ball. Muhammad Bamba is not going to be a great offensive player ever in his career, in my opinion. He's going to be maybe, best case scenario, 14, 15 points per game. We're talking about a defensive, about potential defensive superstar for 7'9 wingspan. You know, we're talking about a guy who's a bigger wingspan than Rudy Gobert. The only issue I have with that comp, and I guess we'll talk about Bamba briefly before we get back to Aiden, is just the, the 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 shit you need to have as a player, the instinctual nature of being a defensive monster. You know, just knowing where the ball is, sport, floor spacing, quickness, fleet of foot, and just having good general basketball IQ. And that's a massive gamble on a guy like Muhammad Bamba. And that's why I can't really draft someone as a defensive superstar in the top five. I think it's fair that he should be in consideration this year based on his size and, like I mentioned, his length. 
but a, he's a gamble as a defensive superstar. Like, what are you getting? Like, best case scenario. What's a worst case scenario? A guy like Hashim Hashim Thabit who can't even get on the goddamn court. I just don't understand why you take massive gambles that so early, so early in the draft on a defensive player. Let's go back to John Jay Aiden, who maybe not doesn't have the size and length, even though he's a big, massive center power forward player. But we're talking about a guy who's not only has the size to play the center power forward position, but also a guy who can stretch the floor in the three point, who can also run the court very well. Yep. Um, who is a decent playmaker who maybe isn't putting up the effort defensively, but as I mentioned with Luka Doncic, has the potential to be a great defensive player. I know you've been really big on DeAndre Aiden for a while. What does he bring to the table, and why do you think he could be in consideration of being the number one overall pick next year in the NBA draft? Well, if I had to compare them at the very highest level of what both of them, I think, could accomplish, I would say that... Mohamed Bamba, since he's such a defensive player, and he really, I mean, he's, he's got a 7-9 wingspan. His highest ceiling, I think, is something like a Rudy Gobert. Whereas DeAndre Ayton sort of has both ends of the floor. Mm-hmm. And for me, I could see his ceiling being sort of like a Carl Anthony Towns, where he's both, he's sort of that superstar on both ends. He's kind of that player that you can build an entire team around, not just sort of rely on for one thing. And there's a, there's a video out there with the two of them facing each other one-on-one. And I mean... Mohamed Bamba is, yeah, he's seven foot with seven, nine wingspan, but he's 215 pounds. Mm-hmm. Like, unless he actually puts something on, and again, he's young. He's, he's obviously, he's a freshman, but unless he puts some actual, you know, muscle on, because um, he doesn't have any real offensive skills, it's going to be tough for him to adjust. Whereas DeAndre Ayton, for me, is sort of already, he already has the, at least he's, if he's 250 at, at the same sort of, he's got the body already. So for me, if he only has to worry about the skills, it's a little bit less to worry about. And this guy could easily be the number one sort of players in mock drafts I can see coming out of this season just because of how much he can dominate um you know other players especially at this level I think yeah, he's I going think to people, Arizona that's the type of school that it's, he's going to fill in for Laurie Markkanen he's mm-hmm. going to get a lot of minutes they're going to run him a lot it's he's he's going to fit in really really well there and that's a team that he's going to be fighting for minutes too so it's not going to be one of those things where he can just kind of coast in and he's going to have to play hard every single game and fight for it that's a great point. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening. This is podcast number 21. We'll be back next week without Greg Yeroshadis because he's going camping or finding a bear in the woods or something. But or take we, some time to look at the Raptor schedule, an, analyze it a little bit. And he's going to psychoanalyze it. Yeah. He's going to have a <laughs> cathartic moment in the woods reading the Toronto Raptors schedule. We'll be back next week. We might potentially talk about some football next week as well with the upcoming season. Uh, again, guys, thank you very much for listening. And one more massive shout-out because this is a Canadian podcast. Big shout-out to my alma mater, Carleton University, the Carleton Ravens, defeating defeating the Alabama Crimson Tide basketball team at the Can-Am shootout tonight. 84-71. Go Ravens, go. Don't roll Tide. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Thank you.